Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. I'm Father Chris, one of the Marian priests and brothers, and we're excited to have you with us today because you've heard me say so many times before that I, I love cracking out my seminary notes going back to seminary, and this is something that we learned in seminary, but absolutely is not taught enough. And I was just telling, uh, wonderful, we have a full shrine here today that this is a talk I probably should have done one of the first few of the uh, Explaining the Faith series. Today we're going to be talking about discerning God's will. How do we know God's will in our life? When, does God, put it this way, does God, is there a right or wrong answer in everything we do? Does, does God say every decision you have to make, no matter how small, paper or plastic, <laughs> does God, is there the will of God in that? That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to open our minds and hearts to receive this grace you wish to bestow and to discern your will, almighty God, in all things. And we ask in the intercession of St. Faustina that you may guide us and help us in this discernment of your will. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm also excited. Um, I'm going to be looking a little more deeper into this to make sure that the, what I'm thinking, you know, talk about discerning the will of God. Um, I've been talking to the Lord. I, I, I really feel moved right now in the midst of everything that's going on, but to write a book on the Holy Spirit and a consecration to the Holy Spirit, because consecration to Mary Joseph, that's beautiful. We need them. They're incredible. But somehow I think that's leading to the consecration of the Holy Spirit, which I ask for your prayers so that I can discern God's will. So uh, whether or not this is the proper book at the proper time, um, I got a lot of other things. It won't be for a couple months till we get through some things here in our community. All good, but busy. So let us begin now. As you saw on your screen, discernment. How can I learn God's will for me? Now, a couple times, um, I, like I said, I go back to my notes. I've worked with our theologians like Chris Sparks and others. And, and one of my favorite philosophers is Peter Kreeft, right? If you haven't seen him, he's fabulous. I want to, first part of this, a few minutes first talk, I want to talk about a couple things he mentioned. Now, I've always said, and you've heard me say this, that Jesus talks about two great commandments in the Bible, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Actively love, not just say you love. Do, act. That's mercy, love into action. And so Jesus says the great commandments, love God, love your neighbor. But when you think about it, those roll up into one. There really is only one commandment. Everything else falls underneath this. Do the will of God. Well, Father, I thought it was love. Yes, love is will of God. Well, Father, I thought it was to strive to get to heaven. Yes, you get to heaven only by doing the will of God. It all comes back to this. And so as I was thinking about this, this really, again, should have been done much earlier. But let's talk about this now. This is important. So let's look at our first slide. All right, so how do I discern God's will? Well, first of all, be a disciple. We know the Bible tells us, well, what's it take to be a disciple? Deny yourself. That's not fun. Pick up your cross. 
that's not fun, and follow me. Now, that is the will of God. But how? How do we do this? And guess what? Doing the will of God is the easiest of all that. <clears throat> We're going to tell you how you can make doing the will of God a joy. And so how do we do this? Okay, so this is the key question. The key question that I didn't even really know the answer to. Does God have one right choice for me in every decision I make? In every decision that you make, here it says, how do I discern God's will? Does God have a right choice for you in every decision? Yes or no? How many say yes? How many say no? Interesting. We have a split decision. You're going to be surprised by this answer. All right. God has given us free will and reason because he wants us to use it in making decisions. Now, St. Augustine said, love God and then do whatever you want. Love God and then do whatever you want. Interesting. Right? So if you truly love God and love doing his will, then doing what you will will be doing what God wills. That's the Blessed Mother. Her will was perfectly united. All God's signs should line up. Peter Kreese said it's like a trigonometry. I love trigonometry. That was one of my favorite classes I ever took because it made so much sense to me. A very analytical minded engineer and I, a plus B equals C, and, and A plus B, or I should say, if A equals B and B equals C, does A equal C? Yes. And so trigonometry, all the pieces fit together. This is our Catholic faith. Our Catholic faith is a big trigonometry. All the pieces fit together. And Peter said there is seven signs. Let's take a look at our next slide. Tools to know God's will. One, these are easy. Scripture. You want to know God's will? Open the Bible. Now, the Bible can't cover everything. What does the Bible tell you about artificial intelligence, which is becoming a huge moral issue right now? What does the Bible tell you about nuclear war? Is it ever justified? Huge issue coming up. So that's why we have the second one here, church teaching. So these are the tools to know God's will, the scriptures, church teaching. The next one, surprising, human reason. Now, God created this. It doesn't make us gods. That's what is the fault of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment in France, which spread to the United States, was that man is God. And so the next one is human reason. That's a tool. Our human reason can tell us what God's will is. Okay, next, the appropriate situation or circumstances. Okay, there are some times when it's perfectly fine to address somebody and correct them. There's other times where you don't. For instance, somebody, you know, um, doing something really wrong. You don't want to stand up if they're a brother and announce to the world a sin that they're engaged in. You want to, the circumstance isn't right. You want to meet with them privately and say, listen, because I love you, I want to talk to you privately. That's what we need to do. All right. So this is the circumstances. Those are all under God's providence. Now, conscience. That is important because that's our innate sense of right and wrong. Your conscience will tell you anything you want to know. And you know what's funny? St. Thomas Aquinas said, we are obligated to follow our conscience even when it is in error. Now, 
when a priest stops there, he's not doing you a justice. He needs to go on and say, but Thomas Aquinas said, you must inform your conscience. So just don't say, well, my conscience tells me birth control is okay. Well, you didn't inform your conscience. Now, if you've informed your conscience to the teaching of the church, then you follow it. Even if you are technically not quite 100% sure, God judges you based on your conscience. All right, finally, prayer. So here's what he says. In one of these seven voices, if any one of those seven things you see on your list there, scripture, church teaching, human reason, the appropriate situation or circumstances, conscience, your, oh, I forgot, individual instincts. You have a, God put an innate instinct in you to be able to fight or flight or different things like that. And then finally, prayer. If one of these say no, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, I feel I need contraception. Well, number two on there, church teaching says no. If any one of them says no, don't do it. If none of them say no, you're free to do it. That's hugely powerful tools God gives us to know his will. So look also for the fruits of the Holy Spirit. What are the, what are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? And by the way, in this book that I'm discerning, I'm going to talk about the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the first three of the fruits are what? Does anybody remember the first three fruits of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, and peace. Now listen to this. How do you know God's will? Well, if we are angry and anxious and worried, the opposite of love is anger. The opposite of joy is anxious. And the opposite of peace is worried. So basically, if we're loveless, joyless, and peaceless, we have no right to say we are doing the will of God. I think that's the issue with the transgender movement right now. That's why they are attacking, like that Riley Gaines who stood up and says, I don't want biological men changing in my locker room. And at the university in West Coast, California, somewhere, she, they had to barricade her in a room. But she was being attacked. She was being attacked violently. You know why? Because they know in their conscience it's wrong. They know it. So they want to kill it. They want to, it's just like Jesus. Jesus was pointing out that the Pharisees were wrong. That's why they wanted to kill him. Their conscience wanted to get rid of it. That's why Herod wanted to get rid of John the Baptist. His conscience. And so they are not, they are not finding love, joy, and peace. They certainly don't have love. They were attacking Riley Gaines. They certainly didn't have joy. They were screaming and swearing. And they certainly didn't have peace. It was chaos. And so that's how you know God's will. If you don't have love, joy, and peace, you have no right to claim you're doing God's will. This movement is not doing God's will because I don't see any love, joy, or peace in there. Now, it can go the opposite side, too. I mean, if I'm pro-life, but I'm going down and screaming at the mother and saying she's going to hell at an abortion clinic, then I'm losing some love, joy, and peace, too. All right, so... Discernment itself should not be this stiff, loveless, 
anxious thing. But as I said, loving, joyful, and peace-filled. Now, let's get back to our question. Does God have just one right choice for you each time you make a decision? Yes or no? Okay. If so, you need to find it. All right? If not, relax. Relax a little bit more. Be a little bit looser. And I think that's what I'm finally coming to realize in my... I've been in religious life for 16 years, 17 years. And it took me 17 years to realize that. And it took a good friend who's here in the back of the church to help me realize that. Father Chris, just see the love. You got a checklist. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And I would be up all night doing it, getting no sleep. And then I read where one of the saints wrote, God hates those who does not sleep. <laughs> I went, what? <laughs> and so this is the message, all right? And so scripture records some examples of God revealing his will, but not always, all right? All right, not always. All right, let's look at our next slide here. Who's this? The book of Job, right? This is an amazing story because did God reveal all his will to, the, to Job and his wife? No, he didn't. And his wife said, forget this God of yours. And so darkness and uncertainty are common in the lives of the saints. All right. And the scriptures as well, like with Job here. The only thing common to all humanity, the gospel does not guarantee prosperity. Please turn off those televangelists that you maybe be sucked into that you've heard me say before. It is dangerous that you love God, you'll get that new house. You love God, you'll get that new car. You love God, you'll get that beautiful new wife. You love God, you'll get that promotion at work because you're better than everybody else there. No. Now, maybe you are, but that's not the gospel. You ever want to get humbled? Read the litany of humility. You want to get knocked down to your knees? Read the litany of humility. Lord, from the desire to be favored above anyone else, deliver me. Lord, to have those chosen uh, before me, please give me that grace. And so this is amazing. So the gospel only guarantees to free us not from poverty, not from hardship. The only thing the gospel guarantees to free us from is sin and the consequences, death and fear. That's why the Bible says 365 times, be not afraid. That's why the Bible has the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we will follow because it's defeated. Death is defeated. But it does not guarantee we won't suffer or have uncertainties. If God wanted us to know the clear, infallible way he would have shown us. Well, Father, it's the Bible. No, the Bible has many uncertainties. The Bible itself says not everything is in the Bible. Sola Scriptura is not in the Bible. So when we follow Augustine's advice to love God and then do what we want, do what we will, we find peace. Peace is the Holy Spirit. You know, people ask me all the time, Father, why, how did you know you were called to the priesthood? And I, there were many things. The death of my grandmother, the suicide of my grandmother taught me about divine mercy. Divine mercy got me completely enthralled with the Catholic faith and to understand, and by the way, uh, we will be addressing so many of you. I've gotten, 
I can't even count how many emails now about this viral video that's going out accusing St. Faustine of being a heretic and divine mercy being deceptive and it being a lie. We're going to, we're going to address that. So um, please keep, keep a lookout for that. If you've been writing letters or sending us emails, we will be addressing that. But divine mercy changed me, brought me back to the church. But when anybody asked what it was that really showed me that I was called, and it was this, the only time I had complete and utter peace when I was, it was when I was in that church, praying in the chapel, adoration, at mass. There was a sense of peace like I couldn't explain. And I knew God was giving me that to realize, go back out into the world, that's fine, that's good, but there's not the peace that you have here with me. And that's how we know God's will is peace. Some people have abandoned Christianity altogether because they lack peace and they say, it's too hard. I don't want these rules. Well, that's because they're not finding the peace. They try to be these super Christians in everything. And the pressure was too much. That doesn't work. Read Galatians. And so this is very important. So what do we do? How do we know God's will then? And does, we're going to go back to that question. Does he have a right answer in everything we choose? Well, here we go. Next slide. The answer lies in the greatest gift God gave us, free will. God gave us free will so our love could be more, not, could be authentic, not just robotic. But here's the thing, everybody. Just as he didn't give us all the uh, answers in theology, people say all the answers are in the Bible. No, we need doctrines and dogmas. Like I said, what does the Bible say about contraception? Nothing. But is anybody going to say that's not a moral issue? What does the Bible say about abortion? I mean, in one sense, murder is wrong. Yes, the Bible says that. But we need church teaching. What does the church teach about artificial intelligence, nuclear war, as I always say? Nothing. And so we need church teaching. We need doctrines and dogmas. Dogmas are actually revealed. He didn't give us all the answers in theology, just in the Bible. That's why we need the church. Same with morality. Those things I just mentioned. Technology is a good one. What, is the tr what does the Bible say about technology? Should I be using the internet for everything I do? Is that morally good or acceptable? Or is that morally prohibited? What about the fact that now our personal relationships have been replaced by a screen? What would, what would Jesus say about that? Well, show it to me in the Bible, Father. That's the point, everybody. The Bible doesn't tell us if it's morally acceptable that we run all of our, our um, relationships now through a screen. But does anybody here want to argue that that's not a moral issue? Of course it is. And so we have to, we have to know that God gave us mental and moral equipment to, to know, learn, teach, and discern. He's not pleased when we don't use our brain, our conscience, right? Right? God's law is actually very short. He gave us 10 commandments, not 10,000. <laughs> right? Now, what, you know, but why? Why not a more complete list of specifics? Because he wants us to use our freedom. But freedom within guidelines. All right? His will is objective, but we have to do... This is interesting. Okay, his will is objective, but how we do it is subjective. We can please God in different ways. I hope I'm pleasing God by being a priest. Well, 
you watching are not a priest. Well, does that mean you can't please God? No, I chose marriage, Father. Well, that's how you please God. So different ways within the freedom that God gives us. So some choose to be married. Some choose to be a priest. Some choose to be a nun. Some choose the vocation of being single. They all can be pleasing to God. As long as you love God and act within his law, he wants you to have freedom. This is what people, this is what Islam gets wrong. People think Islam has got all this positive because they follow all this rigid structure. Actually, that's not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible wants you to have, yes, a guideline, the law of God, but the freedom within it. You know, G.K. Chesterton said it great. He said, you know how I envisioned it? He said, a playground fence erected around the children on the top of a mountain. So he pictured this mountain with children playing on top, but there was a fence around it so that they could play without fear of falling off the side, but yet they had freedom to run around on the top. That's G.K. Chesterton. I think that's masterful. God lets us run around within our life and our freedom to have these choices, but he puts a, a big gate around us that you go outside of that gate, you're going to fall off the cliff. You're going to die. That's why God gave us his law, not to make us worried, but to keep us safe, yet be free. God basically saying, follow your conscience without demanding to know everything about the situation. When we try to demand everything, like, God bless you all. I mean, I, I love every letter I get, but I get some letters. Father, there was a fly that landed in my cereal this morning. That has to have a meaning. I need you to call me immediately to tell me what the meaning of that fly landing in my cereal. Could it be the reincarnation of my uncle who lived on Quaker Oats? And so, no, we don't have to know everything. God doesn't want us to be like, that was the problem with Adam and Eve. Eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I want to know everything. And so, St. Thomas, he says, as I said before, we have to inform our conscience. Yes, that's the church, the scriptures, the law of God. But then within it, we act in freedom. So inform your conscience, then follow it not your emotions and your passions. That's what gets most of us in trouble because we get too emotional, we get too passionate. Love is not just an emotion, it's an act of the will. And so if we inform our conscience of church teaching and then live it, it goes to the heart. It becomes you. Then follow your heart and you will desire what God desires for your life. The Trinity Father Stephen Shire told me, can never say no to Mary. And I didn't understand that. And then it made sense to me because her will is perfectly aligned with God's will. Why? Not because the Trinity bent their will to hers, but because she bent her will to theirs. All right. Surely. Here's an example. This is what Peter Kreef said. If John loves Kelly more than Susan... He has good reason to think that God is leading him to marry Kelly rather than Susan. And he said, why not treat all your choices by that same principle? Look to what God is instilling in your heart. 
God writes the story of our lives with the pen strokes of our free choices, but they have to be within the framework of church teaching and scripture. So our hearts can be worth following as long as, you know, we know and inform ourselves of God's will, which is through church teaching and the scriptures. Now, just learn what choices should be made. How do I do that, Father? That's not easy. The catechism, the Bible, church teaching, the saints. You know, but remember, well, my heart says that I can do this. No, it never justifies sinful behavior. And we know what sin is and what sin is not. Now, the heart's not the only thing to follow. We also have to be obedient to authority. Now, just authority, right? So my big problem is I seem I'm always late everywhere. I seem to be bending the speed limit. I confess that. I remember one priest laughing and said, you know the first person I've ever had confess breaking the speed limit? Because we're, 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 we're breaking authority. That's a legitimate God-given authority. And it also teaches patience. It really does. You want to teach yourself patience? Say, I will follow the speed limit no matter where I go. Especially when you're driving in the middle of the night, there's nobody there and the speed limit's 10, you know. That really teaches you obedience. All right. So now, if we do this, we are following God's will automatically. You know, our religious vows, when we as Marians are handed, our, we take vows, we're handed the constitutions of the Marian fathers, which lay out everything and how we are to live. And you know what the, uh, for me, the, uh, was Father Cass, the provincial superior, when he hands you that constitutions, you know what it says? If you follow these, you will be guaranteed eternal life. Guaranteed. No questions. Guaranteed. Why? Because you are being obedient to God's authority. Now, when the authority is some elements of our government that is telling us that we have to accept sin, no way. All right? That's where civil disobedience is acceptable and almost required. So now... Let's get, I keep saying this, I'm sorry. Let's get back to the question, does God have only one right choice in everything we do? Keep, sorry, keep going off on these tangents. All right, if God has only one right choice in every single thing you do, it's not going to work. It's impractical. Which room do you clean first today? Do you take paper or plastic? I remember, again, being late at the grocery store trying to pick up some things for one of our dinners. And the person says, do you want paper or plastic to the person ahead of me? And they're, hmm, hmm. You know, I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, if, if you do paper, you're cutting down a tree. But if you do plastic, then it's going to remain in the landfill. I mean, there is a there is legitimate think, debate there and discernment. But let's not kill ourselves here. All right. Which dish do you pick up first? The cup or the saucer? Do you pick up the fork or the knife first? We could drive ourselves crazy. Some people think this is the will of God. No, this is within your realm of free will and freedom. This can become very unlivable and certainly not the kind of life God wants for you. There are often two or more choices that, that both can be good. All right? So I always say, Brother Mark and I hardly ever take days off. I mean, I think we had three days off last year and we decided to go fishing 
And so Mark says, well, should we go to the pump house or, you know, should we go to the dam? Well, I don't think we need to sit there for 35 minutes and pray on it. <laughs> God is going to give us grace of enjoying his creation, whether we go to the pump house or to the dam. He's going to give us that grace. It's two good choices. It's two good choices. What about being married? Father, do I become a nun or do I get married? You've heard me say the story before. I was counseling a beautiful lady and, and she says, I know I missed my call. I was to be a nun. I was like, okay. She says, I know it. I know it. I, in fact, Father, I'm going to do it. I'm just, I'm just going to give up everything and I'm going to go be a nun. I said, wow. Well, what's your state in life? Well, I'm married with three young children. <laughs> no, this is not God's will now that you pack up everything and you go join the convent when you got a husband and three little children. No. But God now, even if he did want you to be a nun, is now going to say be the best possible spouse you can be. Same thing with a priest. All right? So all the mistakes I've made in my discernment and becoming a priest, all I know is God's been there behind me saying, now just be the best priest you can be, even when I stumble and fall like an idiot. Be the best and most faithful priest you can be. He'll meet you where you're at. So two different things may both be right. It could be right that I chose marriage or it could have been right that I chose the priesthood. I struggled with that. In fact, I struggled with it so much after three years with the Marians, I left. I left for a year, convinced that God was calling me to marry the girl that I was dating before that I was engaged to. And it just never left my heart. The reason why is because I did things without discerning God's will. And I didn't have what? Guess what I didn't have? Peace. I came to the Marians for the first three years. I didn't have peace because I was still thinking about her. I left too prematurely. I didn't discern it properly. I didn't listen. When every priest told me you need to stop dating for at least two years before you come into the seminary. And I said, oh, well, you know, God, you understand. I can't stop dating her because if I do, then she'll be gone. She's such a beautiful catch. And then if you're not calling me to the priesthood, then I don't have the priesthood and I don't have Gina. And so I don't want to lose both. So Lord, you understand. And I'm going to keep dating her until I know 100% sure it's time to enter seminary. Mistake. Huge, huge mistake. Because then when I came to the marriage, I didn't have peace. And then when I went back, because I felt, and I know why I went back, God was giving me a chance to put closure to it. He said, listen, you're so stubborn. I'm going to have to pull you out now and send you down to North Carolina so you can put closure to this and you can make the decision. And God did. And I was convinced that I was going to marry her. We got back together. I was convinced. And, 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 and I wasn't even going to think about returning to the priesthood. Then all of a sudden I'm in the chapel one day. And God, I hear very clearly saying, it's time to return to the Marians. I'm like, uh, no, God, I'm not going to do that to her again. And lo and behold, God, when you really want to discern God's will, he'll even work with you despite yourself. So then one day I'm at work, hired back at the same company I founded and sold. And she says, you got to come home, please. We need to talk. I'm like, oh, boy. I go running over there and she comes around the corner at her house crying. And she says, ever since you got home, I've been asking God his will. Were you to be a priest or not? And she said, selfishly, I wanted you to come back to me. 
but I heard God's voice clearly. You are to return to the Marians. I was like, what? God gave closure. Then all of a sudden I came back to the Marians. I have peace. Peace. That is knowing God's will. That is when you're doing God's will. It wasn't God's will when I did, was just tormented and tortured. But don't be scrupulous. Sometimes you have to make a choice and just trust God is going to say, make that choice and I support you. I meet you where you're at. Place it in God's hands. All right? And then, then trust God to leave you, following your own freedom, but trusting in God that he will be with you. Two different things may both be good like marriage or the priesthood. God was what awaiting me in both places. Now, I am so happy, and I know God has blessed her because I kept rationalizing, well, God, you need me there to take care of her. That was pride. God's going to take care of her way better than I can. But God was awaiting me in either decision I made, whether I chose to be a priest which I'm so grateful now. I never look back. I, I'm so grateful that God led me here. But if I would have chosen marriage, God would still be there with me. He would still be there saying, now just be the best husband and father you can be. Right now, he's telling me, be the best priest you can be, Father Chris. Now, you got to watch these things. You're, you're messing up here, but I can work with you because you love the priesthood. I can work with you, Chris, despite all of your faults and failings because you love the priesthood. We got a lot of work to do, but trying to do God's will is all he can ask of you. And so this is important. God doesn't do the work for us. Notice he's not going to make me instantly cured of all these failings. No, he's not going to do the work for you, but he's there to help you when you need it. So don't stress that every single decision has a right or wrong answer. Because you are free. You have free will. And his eternal plan is not competing with, with you. All right? They're two sides of the same coin. God's will and what you desire in your heart, if it's good, can be together. One of the things we will praise God for when we die is how wonderfully and dangerously he put the driving wheel of life in our own hands. It's like a parent teaching a young kid how to drive. You're like, huh, right? And when you're teaching them how to drive, you're helping them. But this is, you're still driving. You're teaching that kid how to drive. All right? This is important. So God, in giving us our free will, said to us, now this is really interesting. This is Peter Kreeft. I want to finish with him. God, in giving us free will, said to us, your will be done. Do you ever think about that? God giving you free will said to you, your will be done. That's pretty scary. Some of us, I hope I do, I hope you do, turn back to God and say, my will is that your will be done. That's Mary. That is obedience. When you follow the teachings of the church, regardless if it's on abortion or gay marriage or transgenderism or contraception, you're basically saying, my will is that your will be done. That is obedience to God through his church. 
Then when we do that, God turns back to us and says, okay, now your will be done again. Because it matches his will. That's why the Trinity can't say no to Mary. That's exactly what Mary did. And then he writes the story of our lives with the pen strokes of our own free choices. It's amazing what God has given us, but we don't see and we abuse our free will. Free will is not license. Free will is our choices within the, the big fence on the mountain that God allows us to play on. But some decisions are simply too big to just be, well, make your choice, like I just said. Some of them are too big. Let's look at our next slide. Okay, our next slide, um, this is Father Spitzer. If you, if you haven't seen Father Spitzer, he's one of my favorite priests. I called this guy randomly. I didn't know who he was, but when I was writing my book on suicide and I was struggling with the theology of the concept of God being outside of time, I saw a video on Father Spitzer online talking about that same thing, how God compresses time and how there's no past for God, there's no future for God. So I'm like, oh my gosh. This guy's amazing. Like, like you see him on EWTN, he has that show, uh, Father Spitzer's Universe. I called him randomly, and he spent like two hours on the phone with me, like showing me and correcting me as I'm writing this book. I'm like, you are amazing, Father. And he wrote this, am I listening to God or the other guy, the evil one? He gives us three rules for discernment of spirits. Let's talk about this. Let's look at our next slide. Discernment of spirits is critically important because you can't win the battle if you can't see your enemy. You got to know what you're dealing with. Am I dealing with the good spirit or the bad spirit? All right. Discernment of spirits is essential to ensure we are living the prayer. Thy will be done. Some decisions are too big to count on ourselves. Okay, I can count on myself to decide if I want to go fishing at the pump house or the dam. But you trust me, I couldn't make that decision of marriage or priesthood without God. And when I tried to do it, it was a disaster. When finally I brought God back into it and she brought God into it, then we discern God's will. This is what we're talking about here. On the big things, the big decisions, like marriage, um, you know, career change, how many children, these things. How do we know we are listening to God and doing his will? How do we know we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us? Or are we just doing our own will or worse, the will of the evil one? All right. When decisions increase love and trust in God in the long term, it is a good thing. Now let's look at our next slide. We call this consolation. This is common in spiritual studies, Ignatian spirituality. All right. This is good. It's a good sign. It's consolation when your decisions increase love and trust in God in the long term. Like my decision to become a priest. It wasn't my decision. It was God's decision. I'm not going to become a priest because I want to become a priest. It's because God made that choice. Same with every priest. Now, decisions or actions that gradually decrease love, trust, or hope over time. They are not consistent with the workings of the Holy Spirit, and they result in spiritual desolation. That's from the evil one. That's from the evil one. For example, say you decide to try a new career, all right? You want to go a new route because it offers more money. 
I had a situation when I was, I won't mention the company I was working for, but I was an engineer and um, I wanted to go start my own business. And when I announced that I was going to be leaving, they offered me what was a, a huge promotion, a bonus level promotion to be able to stay. And the vice president says to me, now you're going to get to play with the big boys. What is that? I found out that the corporation had a yacht and the highest executives, I'm not going to say all of them, of course not all of them, would go out under the yacht, they'd hire high-end call girls, they had cocaine, all of them were divorced, and now this vice president's telling me, now you're going to get to play with the big boys. Is this what I want? So when we choose things like that, Gradually, you engage in more questionable activity, going to bars, dabbling in infidelity. You find yourself boasting more, taking pleasure in others' misfortune because you squash them on the way up your corporate ladder. You sway away from God. All these are pretty good signs of spiritual desolation. Change things to bring back consolation. This is the evil one. The evil one was telling me, take it, take it. You're going to be a high up person in the company. Take it. Yeah, but at what price? In addition to spiritual consequences, consequences, our decisions can impact our emotions and our well-being. St. Ignatius recognized that effective consolation, that means of the emotion, effective consolations and spiritual consolations, how our, our life is in relation with God and union with God, go together. It's also true that effective desolation of the emotions and spiritual desolation of the actions with God and union also go together. So he saw the need to formulate three rules. You've ever heard the term discernment of spirits? You got to discern if this is the good spirit or the bad spirit. Should I remain with this person? You know, they're really, they don't go to church. They're kind of dragging me into immoral activity. You got to discern the spirit. Is this a good spirit or the bad spirit bringing this relationship in my life? Let's look at these. Rule one. Let's go to our first slide or next slide. Rule one, be attentive to false consolations. Now, what does that mean? All right. Follow your effective consolation. Yes, feelings of peace, love, and joy. That's effective. You've got to have that in unity with God unless it begins to result in long-term spiritual desolation and movement away from God. I, a while ago, talking with a great young lady, and she met a young man, and she was asking me if she should stay with him. And so I was working with her and counseling her, and she's, when I got to the bottom of it, he wants nothing to do with church, she, or uh, he had no belief in God. He would make fun of her. He got her into drugs, told her if she didn't have relations with him, she didn't love him, and basically wasn't working, was living off of her support. Now, the evil one, so what she told me was, but Father, I feel God sent him to me because I can change him. Now that could be true in some cases. That could possibly be true. 
but you need to discern spirits. All right. So I started asking her, all right, if, if God is sending you to change him, have you been changing him? Is he going to church? Does he show any interest in religion? Is he understanding at all your desire to be chaste? Does he understand that drugs are not the way to go? Does he understand that if he's going to be in a relationship, he needs to also provide income? No to all those questions. Well, that's a false consolation. She had false consolation from the evil one that this was good. You bring him in. God wants him in your life. And the whole time he's bringing her down. All right. You can't be yoked with the unbeliever like that if they're bringing you down. You can be if you bring them up. And it's not you. It's God. But sometimes it's not the right person for you. You have to ask yourself. So when that occurs, you should stop following and seeming <clears throat> that this is a good thing, this false consolation, like thinking you can help this person, because it's very likely to be a false consolation sent by the evil one. Spiritual desolation is then causing you to move away from God when you think you're actually doing a good thing. It's like not going to church, like I said, and, and drugs and different things. This is a signal to re-examine your decisions and your actions, that they may have led to false consolation, that the evil one is lying to you. It's actually masking a spiritual desolation. All right? And it's usually good to do this with a person of spiritual experience and maturity, like a good spiritual director. I'm going to, in a few minutes, going to get to spiritual directors. Probably the most important part of this entire talk. So stay with us because you need to know the importance of spiritual direction. Okay. Now let's go to rule two. Next slide. Never make major decisions in time of effective or spiritual desolation. Never make big decisions in times of desolation. This is no good. This is a rule of Ignatius, both affective of the emotions and spiritual desolation of your actions with God can impair judgment and induce confusion and sadness in you. So you end up choosing things. Sadly, I point to my grandmother. My grandmother made a very critical decision in a huge time of desolation. She made the decision to take her life. She did that decision only in the ultimate time of desolation. Now it's a permanent response to what was temporary problems. And I don't mean temporary in the lighthearted way at all. It doesn't mean they're unimportant. It just means this, this earth is temporal. Never make a major decision in times of desolation. Please. Times of sadness. This is why St. Ignatius counseled that you should never make a life decision when you're experiencing this kind of effect. Effective desolation or effective spiritual, I'm sorry, effective or spiritual desolation. He said the desolation will soon go away. It'll give rise to consolation, even if your pain is still there. All right. So you can make better decisions. Some followers of that saint, St. Ignatius, consider this his most fundamental and important rule of all. Let's finish rule three, the final rule. The evil one can come as an angel of light. Now, many people will say, well, that's what Mary is, Father. Uh, uh, 
Jesus is not going to let his own mother, Satan, come and fool the whole world, appearing all over the world in a lie. God is not going to allow that. But sometimes the deceiver does offer thoughts that appear to be aimed at building your spiritual life, like it's a good thing. However, the real intention of these are actually temptations to discourage us in the long term. Like, for instance, it may seem good to be all holy, but when you become self-righteous and you're praying all night, not sleeping, <laughs> then you get tired and then you expect others to be able to do the same thing you do. All of a sudden now, that's not of God. So the devil can twist what looks to be good. I'm going to be working all night. But then if I turn around and expect everybody else to do that and then I'm grumpy, that's not Christ. And so God is teaching us here. He'll encourage you to take on too many spiritual things at one time so that you can't do any one of them really, really good. I have a good friend. She's in every ministry you can imagine. And I keep trying to just nicely mentioned to her, are you, are you sure God wants to take you on this one? You know, you know, rescuing the ants in South Africa and, you know, I mean, sometimes it keeps you from your wife or your husband or your children. All right. Sometimes we can do this. Then when we fail, we get discouraged and we don't want to do any of it. Right. He may try to make you think that you can grow spiritually through your own willpower. This is my big fault. I have my checklist every day of all the prayers I got to say, the divine office, morning prayer, evening prayer, midday prayer, examination of conscience, meditation, reading scripture, uh, spiritual reading, and check, 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 check. No, I'm, when you do that, you're losing the point. You know, it's not going to be get all done through my own willpower. Only God's grace. He'll present an image of God, Satan will, that's demanding you to be perfect. Not just in love with the Bible, says Father, be perfect. Yeah, you know what it's talking about? Be perfect in love. It never said be perfect in not making a mistake. The Bible doesn't say be perfect in every little thing you ever do. It says be perfect in love. That where there's no excuse not to be. All right? So if something is so burdensome that it's leading to a spiritual desolation or effective desolation, then we need to have it basically knocked down a little bit, ratcheted down a little bit so that you're back into the will of God. For me, I think it's like, as I said, you know, I miss some of my prayers because I'm so tired that I pushed them off to the end of the day. And then I get into the chapel at midnight or one in the morning, and I fall asleep. So we have to be careful here. So the discernment of spirits, this is key. Father John Harden, uh, he did a great story on this. He said, many problems today are due not so much due to ill will or hatred or malice. Most of the world's problems is a failure in discernment. He said, Christ stressed that it involves conflict. You're not going to have this all peachy keen, not only with ourselves, but the world, but the devil. That's why you always say that you're at battle with the flesh, the world, and the devil. The flesh is yourself. You're at battle with the world, this cancel culture and this culture telling you that everything that's wrong is right and everything that's right is wrong. And the devil himself, evil spirits, they're going to be sent to attack you. I just heard a couple months ago that 
One of the mystics revealed that every time an abortion is performed in the world by God's justice, he has to release another demon onto the world. Think about that. Since Roe v. Wade, there's been like 65, 70 million abortions in the U.S. and like a billion worldwide. That means by God's justice, he had to allow the release of a billion evil spirits on the world, and we're wondering why we're in this mess? Unbelievable. So remember, though, while the evil one has access to your intellect, he can play with your mind like a VCR. Rewind, play, rewind, play. He can't touch your will. I always laugh because cameraman Giuseppe, his, we got kind of a running joke now whenever he makes a mistake, he says, oh, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. It was the devil. Like, Giuseppe, I asked you to write this down five times. Well, the devil didn't want it to happen. The devil didn't want it to happen. So I start laughing. Remember, the devil can't touch your will. He can mess with your intellect, but he can't touch your will. He can surely test or tempt you in your mind and your weaknesses, and he can exploit your passions, but he can't make you do anything. He can use other people to tempt you, like maybe that boyfriend or girlfriend, as he often does to lead you into temptation. But we know that God's grace overcomes that. He can't touch your will. So here's funny. This is interesting. We know that God's grace is active in our souls, inviting us to practice virtue if we let it. It's important to be able to distinguish grace from temptation. That's discernment of spirits. If I want to date this, uh, this guy, the, the girl told me, how do I know if it's the good spirit or the bad spirit? Well, is it a grace or is it a temptation? All right, we have to find that out. So once you are caught in this web of temptation and you, you, you give in to the temptation, it's hard to get out. And so the keys here that are mentioned by Father John Harden are attitude, peace, and confidence. And then we'll finish with that, and then spiritual direction, and we're done. Let's look at our next slide. Attitude, the ticket to success. Attitude, attitude. In order to be properly disposed for recognizing temptations, okay, and distinguishing them from grace, the first thing we have to have is proper attitude. We've got to have proper attitude. We must be properly disposed in the heart. All right, that's the, that's the important thing, to receive the grace and distinguish it from temptation. So you see how we need grace even to see God's grace. Remember St. Augustine? He said, Lord, please give me the grace to cooperate with your grace. So God's giving me the grace to be chaste, for instance. He's given me all the grace I need, but I got to cooperate with that grace. I got to say, Lord, give me the grace to cooperate with that grace. God gives you the grace for everything. I, Father, I can't break this drug addiction. God gives you the grace, but you've got to cooperate with that grace. You got to make smart decisions. You got to get the wrong people out of your life. If you're dating a drug dealer, it's going to be pretty tough to get out of that. If you're struggling with purity, but you're spending every night over at the couch on your girlfriend's house, that's going to be pretty hard to get rid of that. This is what we discern God's will. We need grace to distinguish grace from temptation. It means being an honest and sincere in doing the will of God. If I am honest, no matter what my past has been, no matter what I've done in the past, 
or even what my present is, even if I'm struggling with drugs or alcohol, my future is secure. If I simply have the desire to be honest, to do God's will and be honest with him. Honest is simple. Lord, I can't do this without you. I'm broken. And this is, this is the, point, the point. If I'm that honest, no matter what my past has been, or my present is, my future is secure, because then I will be given that light that God promises that we get when we want to do his will. That's what the beatitude is. You know what the beatitudes, remember? Blessed are those, and he gives you know, the merciful, for they, they shall be shown mercy. Well, one of the beatitudes is, blessed are the pure of heart. What does that mean? This is basically the pure of heart, purity. Where purity here means absolute honesty. No duplicity. They're pure of heart. They shall see the face of God. They will be able to recognize him when, when he speaks. And guess what? You'll be able to discern his will. The whole answer is in that one beatitude. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. So if you are pure of heart, purity here means honesty. I'm not duplicity. I'm going to acknowledge my, I'm broken and I need God. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. When that means you shall see God, you'll be able to see him and know what he says to you. You shall be able to see him, recognize him, and when he speaks, distinguish his voice from the evil one. How amazing is that? So St. John Harden, or um, Father John Harden said, first go to silent prayer. You got to have silent prayer. Trust me. If you want to know God's will, but you're not spending any time in silent prayer, it isn't going to work. You need to go, Lord, please speak. Your servant is listening. Even if you don't say a word in prayer, just be there. That's what the Carmelites call contemplation. Jesuits are a little different. We'll talk about it in a minute. But determine what it is that God wants you to do or not do. Is he asking you to get rid of anger, gluttony, pornography, alcohol, drugs? Second, know why you want to do God's will. We have to have a reason for doing things or we won't persevere. All right? For me, it was exercise. I, I, could, I started a thousand exercise programs, never stuck to them. Never stuck to them. Finally, I got the doctor saying to me, you don't do this, you're going to die. Now, all of a sudden, I had a reason to exercise. I don't want to die. God gave me this life. I'm a steward over it. I'm entrusted to take care of it. And he asked you to do the same thing. So we have to first ask what, excuse me, we first need to know why you want to do God's will. Lord, why do I want to do your will? We have to have a reason for doing something or we won't persevere, as I said. So the first thing is the what, all right? So what do you want me to give up or what do you want me to take on? More ministry or whatever. And the second is the why. Then third, choose the how. How will I do it? You must put some things into effect. You must change your lives that you can keep something, make it your own like a holy hour, all right? If the only way you could do, I, again, holy hour is another one. I got to get a holy hour in every day. I just, I'm, I'm not complete without it, but I struggled. I, I did them at midnight. I did them after lunch. I did them after evening prayer. I did them first thing. I couldn't find anything that worked. Finally, 
I got one now that I got a schedule now that works and I own it. You got to make the time for God or it's not going to happen. All right. Be willing to do what God wants you to do, but also take the means to make it happen. If God wants you to give up drugs, then don't show up at your drug dealer's house to watch a game. Okay. All right. The next one after attitude is peace. Let's look at our next slide. Why is the dove the symbol of peace? It's the Holy Spirit. The best way to distinguish between temptations and graces is if they bring you peace or anxiety. The effect of grace is peace. That's why we call Jesus the Prince of Peace. Jesus does. His first words on Easter, peace be with you. Divine Mercy Sunday, when he came in the door, what did he say? Peace be with you. The evil spirit causes fear and confusion. The three great tools of Satan, pride, fear, confusion. Pride, he's been at it, mankind since the very beginning in the garden. Fear, he just wrapped us up in during COVID. Now confusion, now he's trying to tell us a man is a woman and a woman is a, uh, or a girl is a man and a man is a girl. He's trying to doubt whether he, God exists, he's confusion. And so the evil spirit causes fear and confusion and ultimately despair. That's why I call him the prince of darkness. In darkness, we're paralyzed. We don't want to move forward because we don't know where we're going. Once we've decided what God wants and know where we want to go, we can move ahead and not look back. That's what God did with me in the priesthood. There must be the previous, or I should say, there must be good attitude, as I previously mentioned, and a readiness to do God's will. Then peace will come. Otherwise, we can't be sure, and God will not allow us to be in a state where we can't recognize him if we don't want to. Peace will involve effort. It will involve trial. It will involve the cross. And the last one, confidence. We must have great confidence. Here's our next slide. In God, that he does not deceive us if we seek him. The sustained condition which much exists, must exist to do God's will is confidence. If you don't have confidence, you'll quit. You know how you say, I believe in God to the Greeks? You know what the word believe is in the scriptures? Trust. The devils believe God exists. They just don't trust in him. They trust it in themselves. He will never inspire in you to do more than you can carry. Oh, I hate that father. God keeps telling me they'll never give me more than I can carry. I am utterly exhausted. Absolutely. You're trying to carry it yourself. That's exactly right. This is the key to spiritual growth, honesty with God, then doing what we know he wants us to do, but then letting go and trusting him. That's the hardest part. Some people have been asking me about that prayer that I pray every morning. And they said, Father, can you please repeat that? Can you please repeat that every morning? Lord, this day, please help me to know you more. How do we know God more? Through scripture, through the catechism, through the saints. Help me to know you more so that I can love you more. Remember, we can't love what we don't know. So know, help me to know you more so I can love you more. That's the first commandment, love God. And then when I love you more, I will trust you more. And when I trust you more, that I will surrender more. And guess what? Every morning prayer, and this is way before I made this talk, help me to surrender more so I can do your will in all things. It all comes back to this. 
Lord, help me to know you more so that I can love you more, so that I can trust you more, so that I can surrender to you more, so that I can do your will more. You do that. You do that simple morning prayer and you truly mean it. You've got everything in the entire spiritual life wrapped up in that one little prayer. Everything is in that one little prayer. Lord, help me to know you more. That's learning about God, catechesis, studying your faith, knowing your faith, so I can love you more. That's everything. God says everything that you'll be judged on is based on love. So I can trust you more. Jesus told St. Faustina, that's what faith is. Uh, trust is a living faith. You have to trust him or you're not going to follow him. And then you surrender to him. That's the key. Surrender my will. I don't want my will, Lord. I want your will. Surrender so that I can do your will. That little prayer has everything in the spiritual life. Everything. And so we must have this. So anyway, discerning God's will means learning to listen to God's voice in our hearts and then following it. Discernment means we practice being in, in a listener. Not to each other, but to God. Strengthening our relationship with him through prayer, trusting God. And this will lead us to surrender and doing his will. You know, people also look for signs. I get this all the time. God bless you. Father, I, I, I need a sign. Dreams. I, I'm going to be doing a talk in the future on dreams. Because a lot of people are asking me, what's the sign in my dream? You know, a lot of people ask for signs from God outside of the church. And they're determined that that is important. And sometimes it may be. Um, but what's most important is your heart. All right, so to wrap up, here we're getting close to the end. Learning how to discern God's will. Let's look at our next slide. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Learning how to discern God's will corresponds with maturity as a Christian. All right, the first and most important step in this learning process is to become aware of what's happening around you. Know what's going on. It takes time to learn what the voice of God sounds like and to trust in God's will for you. All right. Asking God questions in prayer and looking in your heart for the answers is key. All right. It's through prayer and the inner examination that we do in our conscience that we do as Marians every day that we hear God's voice. You messed up here again, Father Chris, but I'm still with you. Work on it better tomorrow. Awesome, Lord. Don't forget the Blessed Mother. Let's look at our next slide. The Virgin Mary will lead us and guide us if we ask for her help on our spiritual journey. Mary's vocation is a reflection of all vocations, saying yes to God and bringing Jesus to the world. That's all Mary did. She said yes to God and she brought Jesus to the world. Do you say yes to God and do you bring Jesus to the world? This is important, but sometimes we need practical help. <clears throat> and this is where I, I definitely want to finish. Sometimes we can't do it on our own. We need the help. This is spiritual direction. Let's finish here. Spiritual direction. Let's go to our next slide. The Oblates of the Virgin Mary have a great uh, father, Tim Gallagher. You know, he wrote that examination of conscience book and discernment of spirits book. He's great. And I, I saw some of his stuff. Spiritual direction is key. And this is where I want to finish because spiritual direction is the help. What is it? It's the help of one Christian, that's the director, to another, you, the seeker, 
which enables you to be attentive, more attentive to the Lord's communication with you. All right, so basically the seeker, that's you, is then able to listen and respond to God, growing in intimacy. Now, the spiritual director listens intently. He asks questions that make you think, that give you a greater awareness and the understanding of God's presence. All right, you as the directee come to a greater clarity about who God is and why and how he is active in your life. You need a good spiritual director. God speaks through them. Then you can know God's will. How do I know if I'm supposed to enter the convent, Father? What did your spiritual director say? All right, the role of spiritual direction, let's look at our slide. In fact, you know there's even spiritual direct in schools. Our guys go to the one down in Tampa. They also have one with our Marians working at the Immaculate Conception Center in Putnam, Connecticut, along with Franciscan University. You can actually become a spiritual director. That's right there, you can get a certificate. A spiritual director, let's look at our next slide, could be a priest. That's what I would recommend. Could be a trained lay person. Usually you meet once a month. Please don't overburden your spiritual director. All right, Father Kaz had to put me under obedience that I could not take on any more spiritual direction because I got too involved and some of my spiritual directees, we were texting and talking every day. That becomes too much. All right, a spiritual director will see when you're in desolation and help you to stay the course and hold off on making rash decisions. They can be your voice of reason and wisdom, offering reassurance. Last couple paragraphs. The relationship, though, depends on trust. You got to have heart-to-heart conversations. You can't hide. You, if you, what did Jesus tell St. Faustina? Don't you hide a thing from your confessor and spiritual director, or I will hide from you. Wow. You want a wake-up call? That's why it's important for both you and the spiritual director to feel comfortable, present with each other, and honest. Spiritual directors are sympathetic listeners rather than problem solvers, okay? They will help you to recognize and better respond to Christ's presence in your life. Ask God to help you find this person in your life. And then be aware, look around. Sometimes you'll meet him in the confessional. Many ways to find spiritual director. There are, yes, but if you're unsure, contact your diocese. All right, so we only got about a few minutes left, but I'm going to show this quick two-minute video. Because this person called Catholic Answers. I really like Catholic Answers. It said, how do I know God's will in my life? You know the first thing the priest said? Do you have a spiritual director? Let's play that video real quick. It's only a couple minutes. And I was wondering if you had anything to say about that. Do you have a spiritual director at all? I know. Okay. Um, I would recommend that, you know, if you're discerning religious life or just the interior life, it's good to have a guide. I mean, there's a kind of mean, not mean, a a kind of harsh way of saying the person who has themselves as a director has a, is a fool. And I don't mean that in any way against you or as an insult. It's just saying that we, um, you know, whether you want to grow, if someone hires a financial planner or a personal trainer or want to learn how to cook or play the piano, they go to somebody who has experience. And uh, St. Teresa, St. Francis de Sales says, when we look for a spiritual director, we should look for someone, you know, and when you're talking about a priest, at least, he was saying someone who's older, has been around the block and has experience too, 
very prudent and makes good judgment. Can doesn't make you know poor decisions just rashly. Thirdly, knows the faith very well because those experience, prudence, and knowledge of the faith are what help steer a person. And a spiritual guide isn't meant to replace your free will, but to kind of accompany you and help you see, discern what is coming from you or not. Because in these early stages of discernment or at other points, we can have tons of good options. And it seems like all these things are available to us and we're not sure they're all attractive. So we're not no longer choosing between good and evil. We're choosing between good and better. And then trying to figure out what that is. It's helpful to have a spiritual guide or spiritual director who can say, when I pray, it seems like God is saying this. Because what, to a certain extent, what you're doing is if you get on a boat, you get your sea legs, you're getting that your sea legs in the spiritual life and starting to discern, you know, what is the voice of God? What is coming from me? You know, what's coming from outside factors? Uh, ultimately, when God leads us to something, it's going to lead you to greater peace and increase, increase in joy and interior freedom, even though you can be in a very difficult situation that's painful. But when you're doing God's will, you will have a peace. Not saying we won't suffer, but we'll have a surrender and a serenity knowing that we're doing what God wants. So I would recommend trying to look for maybe pray for a spiritual director. And then you can be able maybe once a month, get together with that person and talk to them about what's going on in your prayer life. Okay, so that was a great little video to see the importance of a spiritual director. Remember, the director is helping you to see what is happening. He's not a problem solver. That's the biggest misconception of spiritual direction. He does not direct you in the sense of solving all your problems. Okay, he's not necessarily a psychologist. All right. What he does is help you respond to God's invitation and deeper relationship with him. Let's look at our next slide. The real spiritual director is God. That's your real spiritual director. He touches your human heart. He needs, though, the spiritual director needs to hold you accountable, which may be the most effective part of spiritual direction, accountability. It's a lot harder to, or I should say, it's a lot easier to give in to sin when we're not held accountable, even though God's holding you accountable. They will help you with the spiritual spirituality that's right for you, either Franciscan or Carmelite or Marian. Uh, some people may choose to make the full direction uh, spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. I want to just talk about that real briefly. There's a part, a big part of spiritual direction and the process of deepening your relationship with the Lord is determining what style you use or what combination of prayer that works best for you. Next slide, the Ignatian one is very popular. Ignatian spiritual exercises, they are basically what? A series of prayers, meditations, reflections, that many have found them to be instrumental in helping them. But it takes a spiritual director to guide you through them. They're not easy, all right? It's like with a doctor, your health improves, but with a spiritual director, it's your spiritual health. So a skilled director can help you see yourself as God sees you through prayer and discernment. And they'll examine the areas in your life that could be better. Again, he's not going to solve your problems. He's going to help teach you how to respond. And so the two primary forms of praying uh, that are taught in the exercises are meditation and contemplation. Basically, meditation, you're using your mind to be able to guide your choices in your life. Well, I know this is right. I know this is wrong. We pray over different images, like the image of divine mercy or the chaplet. But contemplation is more about feelings, all right? 
It's where you sit, uh, stir your emotions, kindle your desires by maybe relying on your imagination to put yourself in the setting of the gospel, like maybe be with Jesus in the boat when the storm hits, kind of meditate being in that boat. That's what they teach is contemplation. I kind of like the Carmelite version of contemplation, which is where you're just silent before God. Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. You know, uh, Ignatius, he gave a lot of proposed scenes that we could pray with Scripture. Remember, he said you pray with Scripture. You don't study it. And so Ignatian is a bit, as I said, different than Carmelite spirituality, but they're both good. Carmelites do contemplation in silence. They don't think. They let God come in their heart. The Ignatian contemplation is they vision themselves inside the scene of the gospel, talking with Jesus. And so all of this is based on discernment of spirits, which we talked about a minute ago. And so this is it, everybody. Notice the movements of your heart when you do this. It's amazing. And so the, the vocation, our last slide, our vocation will come from this. How do I discern my vocation? What should I do if I think I'm being called? Well, as I said, you could be called to married life, single life, consecrated life. They're all good. They're all good. God will not be angry with you if you commit yourself to being the best one you can be. Everyone has a calling from God. God has a plan in your life to become a great saint. And the talents that he gives you will bear fruit if you let it. Each of us has different talents, a different personality, unique. And you'll be the only one in heaven with it. That's how you'll be recognized. Even if you, this is important, if you are open to it, we will each discover that we fit well within some plan of God, life or mission, in our life and in his mission, that we are called to be something unique. You will have unique gifts. You do have unique gifts. And God calls you to use them in a unique way. Please use them. Don't be like the guy that buried the talent. Remember, the first guy, the king gave 10 talents, he made 10 more. The other guy gave five talents, he made five more. And the other one, he gave one talent, buried it in the sand. And he said, you wicked servant, I entrusted you with this, you did nothing with it. And so through discernment, you can see what is it that God gave you and how are you to use it? This is the meaning of discerning God's will. And if you want more help on it, Become a Marian Helper, if Brother Mark can put on the screen, micprayers.org. It takes but 10 seconds to sign up. doesn't cost anything. You don't ever, ever have to donate. If you can't, if God doesn't put that in your heart, take care of your family, that's fine. But you'll get so many graces from our prayers and our good works, just like you're a Marian priest or brother. And I explain a lot of what I talked about here in the DVD that we have called Explaining the Faith, um, that's on shopmercy.org, or call us at 800-462-7426, and also the books, Understanding Divine Mercy. Brother Mark can show that. It tells all about what God's mercy is about. Please pick up a copy. If you can't afford it, I'll send you one for free. I just want the message of God's mercy out there. You can't afford it, send it for free. Just let us know and call Peter, uh, my assistant. And then finally, the big one, if you're struggling, you're struggling in life, why is God allowing this to happen to me? Pick up the book, After Suicide. Jason Lewis and I wrote this. It's not just about suicide. We use this story of my grandma as the example for the book, but it applies to any kind of suffering or loss. Anything that we go through that we need help, 
That is God's grace. So God bless all of you. We hope that you will continue to join us on this series of learning our faith so that we can live our faith. But before we do, we must discern our faith and what God's will is for us. Amen. Hallelujah. May almighty God bless you, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. And God bless you, everybody. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.